You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man, as a two-time felon, I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Freedom Pact. Okay, joining me on the Freedom Pact podcast today is the front, wa- front man of one of my favorite bands of all time, Shinedown. It is Mr. Brent Smith. Brent, welcome to the Freedom Pact podcast. Thank you very much. I'm super stoked to be here. I'm excited for this. So this podcast episode is a really special one for me. Um, it was actually, I was looking earlier, it was almost 10 years to the day that I first saw Shinedown live. Um, it was in Cardiff's Student Union. Um, okay. I know now you've gone on to, I think you're coming back to the Cardiff International Arena. So what a 10 years it's been. Um but before you got to this stage where you were playing arenas and venues like this, I just wondered if you could touch on what the early grind of being a musician looks like before what the fans see, before we see all the, the success. What did it look like before you made it? Well, there's a lot in that question. Um, I think the biggest thing that first and foremost, I came from a town that was very, uh, very sports centric. I'm from uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, which is where the University of Tennessee is. Um, so the volunteers, a lot of sports, all that. And I was a young man that grew up and I wanted to learn about poetry and different authors. And I was heavily into music since birth and singing and all these elements. So. It was a it was a town that um, I don't want to say that it necessarily questioned me, but I was definitely unique amongst my peers. Um, You know, music for me is something that I think that uh, a good friend of mine once said that you don't pick the music, the music picks you. Um, And I feel very, very fortunate in that regard. Uh, what it looked like was, let's get to some good stuff. Let me get to the good stuff. Um, when I was 14 years old, I got a friend of mine to give me a fake ID that said I was 18 and that allowed me to get into clubs. I started playing in clubs when I was 14, kind of sneaking out of the house and, uh, with different bands and, and, and stuff of that nature. So it allowed me to play in kind of like these areas where, you know, a young man as myself wasn't necessarily supposed to be, but I started uh, working in clubs pretty early. Um, it's a grind, you know, the one element about songwriting, like I never wanted to be in a cover band. I didn't really want to work with bands that did other, uh, artists songs. I was always focused on my own material and I wanted to work with people that wanted to do original compositions. So that was unique in it to find like-minded people that wanted to write together also. Um, but once that occurred, uh, just started diving headfirst into the scene in Knoxville, which ultimately I look back on it very fondly because it was quite nostalgic. Um, you know, I remember one of my favorite places to play was called the Mercury Theater. And 
basically held barely 300 people. And uh, I remember the Deftones being there on their first album, Adrenaline, where there was like 300 people inside the club. But outside, there was like another 2,500 people just having the doors open up, just trying to hear the concert, like that kind of stuff. And uh, just immersed in the live music scene. Uh, that then, kind of going a little forward, I was in a band uh, based out of Knoxville that was my first band that I was signed to Atlantic Records with. Um, the band Shinedown has, we're a bit of an anomaly because we've been on Atlantic Records for two decades. And in this era of the way music now is, you don't see a lot of that of any genre or any band or really any artist that's still with the same, le same record label 20 years later. Um, same thing with um, internationally, been a part of the Warner Music Group uh, since really, I think we started working collectively around 2005 uh, internationally, but working with the same people. Um, so anyhow, the band that I was in at the time in Knoxville, uh, we got signed. The development of that lasted about nine, ten months of demoing and then I was subsequently the band was dropped but then I was re-signed um to Atlantic Records uh by a gentleman by the name of Steve Robertson in the industry everybody calls him Steve-O um he re-signed me to a development deal because he believed I was a performer and a songwriter but that I just wasn't around the right people uh and then that took me on a three-year journey and then Shine Down was created because um, I never wanted to be a solo artist. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a part of the band. Um, another thing, too, about Steve Robertson is same A&R for the band 20 years later. Uh, so my story kind of starts there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then ultimately with the band, it was right out of the gate. We started in we started touring and playing shows 2002. And uh, just never looked back. Um, so it's important for people to understand in the industry, you have to be willing to never be complacent. You also have to understand, I think nowadays more than anything, I don't necessarily think that if you're looking at other artists, you can be inspired, you can appreciate that artist, but you need to focus on finding your voice. And what I mean by that, the way you play drums, the way you play piano, the way you play guitar, whatever instrument you play, the horn, doesn't matter. You have to find your individuality inside of that instrument or multiple instruments. Same thing with your voice and the stories that you tell and the subject matter that you present to the public. People aren't stupid. Um, they can spot someone that's not genuine. It's like a 10,000 yard glance, man. It's a stare. They, mm -hmm. they, they can see it if it's not real. Um, so you really have to focus on being authentic and being original and not desensitized to the constant strobe light of the internet. You uh, don't don't worry so much about what other people are doing. Focus on what you have to say. Um, and I'm still doing that to this day. But the early stages was a lot of clubs, 
uh, just grind, grinding, 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 man. I mean, anywhere where I could play, um, you know, spending every single dime I have to make flyers, to put them up at that. That's how back in the day you advertised. Mm. Um, so I come from that old school uh, work ethic and that hustle. Um, Cause a lot of times you're your best cheerleader. Nobody's going to promote you as well as you are. And uh, obviously now I look at it cause I've been asked this question before um, where someone has asked me, well, why don't you just, you could do it. You guys could do it on your own now independently and make so much more money. I just said, I have to kind of, I appreciate the fact that somebody would say that to me, but I don't have a staff of 200 plus people uh, working in my behalf. If I'm not with Atlantic records. Now there's different ways you can look at it, but I champion the Warner music group. I champion Atlantic Records. Uh, in the UK, we're working with Polyphon, um, and they're extraordinary. Um, and it's important to understand also in this industry and what I've kept with me since I began, that you need to lead from the front, um, but you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. There's so many <clears throat> threads in that answer that I want to wanna pull on. And before we get there, I just... On that early grind you were talking about, um, there's got to be so much resilience that's built up, built up in those early years. I remember when I was a teenager, I was in and out of bands, and I remember one day we, I think we, I had my friend's mother drive us something like four hours to play this little mini festival, and they paid us twenty quid between the four of us, and we turned up and we played to my friend's mother because no one showed up, um, and I'm, you know, there's so many uh, musicians and well anyone chasing any dream go through moments like that um but what is it that sort of gave you the re resilience to push through um before you you know saw any success was it just a true passion for what you were doing yeah i had something to say mm. i still have at 44 years of age i still have a lot to say um and don't get me wrong I'm also somebody that believes that actions speak louder than words in certain situations, but the action as a musician and a songwriter and a performer is going out into the world and presenting uh, your art to people. Um, I think that's part of the, the, the element of, I've been given such an immense opportunity by, and I'm a very, very grateful and humble individual when it comes to that, because I can only speak about what I know in regards to our experience in the band, but uh, our fan base, we call them Shine Down Nation. Um, I've often said this, in this band, we only have one boss. It just happens to be everybody in the audience. And so you have to remember that. And when, you are given the opportunity to not only tour, have a company that works very, very hard with getting your music out to the populace and to the uh, generations of people. There is a tremendous amount of respect in that. And also on top of that, you have to be authentic. And 
I'm an individual that's been in a band that's been talking about mental health and those types of subject matters for the better part of two decades. You know, before it was something that was talked about um, in public circles or media had chosen to speak on it and, and what it's about and, and what's going on uh, just in human society with mental health. Uh, even before politicians started acting like they cared. Um, some of them do. I will say that. Some of them do. Um, but what keeps me doing it and why I'm driven by it uh, is because I want to focus on being an individual that lifts people up. I, I often will tell people, like, if you see somebody, this can be metaphorically or it can be in real life. If you see somebody that has been brought to their knees, don't walk past them. Help them, help them stand back up. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, obviously with what occurred over the last two and a half years, you know, human existence, uh, you know, when the pandemic occurred, I mean, it really shined a light and it you know put everybody under a microscope of human existence and just empathy that people have towards each other or a lack of empathy that people have towards each other but even before that we were always focusing on doing our best to empower people for their goals in life for their dreams for what they want to do in their own personal life. Maybe they didn't grow up around the best setting and maybe they didn't grow up around a lot of people uh, encouraging them. What we wanna try to do and what we've always collectively tried to do lyrically in the band is let people A, know they're not alone. B, they can totally accomplish anything that they set their mind to. Um, and above all, don't give up. You know, I often will tell people, don't focus on a plan B. There's no reason for it. Whatever your A plan is, do that. That's what you were meant to do. You're going to have to work for it. It may take you a while, but strive for what you truly want out of this life. Go after, you know, go after the, whatever the thing that you want to be, whatever life you want. That's what you need to go after. I think people in this day and age are really afraid of failure and are so scared to put themselves out there. I see it a lot in the youth. Um, and what I would say to that is you're not going to be remembered for your failure. You have to fail. It, it's what teaches you what to do next time. You need that. It's part of who you are. It's what makes you who you are. But your life and your legacy won't be built by your failure. I promise you that your life and your legacy uh, will be built by the foundation that you refuse to give up. And I think that's a lot of, to answer your question, that's why we do it. That's, that's why it's important to us is to give, to empower people with that mindset. Well, I think everyone can and definitely see that anyone who listens to your music. Um, I think I was 12 years old when I first discovered Shinedown's music. Um, and I remember at the time there were songs that I felt really spoke to me. I think like Better Version. I used to listen to that song on repeat when I was in high school. Okay. Um, 
and then you know growing up and going through different things songs like um you know call me used to get you know they'd get you through certain times they were and i the thing about those two songs in particular and a lot of your songs there seems to be a lot of real emotion a lot of maybe even pain behind them and so my question is how much can pain be a motivator or even a superpower when it comes to writing music that is real music? I think it's a game changer. Um, if I'm being bold, it's probably one of the reasons why I put it on the top of my mm. hand to remind myself. And if uh, your viewers can't see what it says on the top of my hand, it says your pain is a gift. And um, I've, I've had people look at that and go like, what do you mean my pain is a gift? I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I remind myself with this that mm, it's my pain. You know, um, I think that in, re in regards to pain, whether it's physical or psychological, um, it is in a lot of ways what, helps map out your individuality and what sets you apart from everybody else and what makes you an individual is what you go through and what you struggle with what you can adapt inside of any scenario or subject especially when it gets difficult or painful um and why i say pain can map you out is there are all these like moments and these roads that kind of show your story and why i say that is you have to look at it almost like those scars that you have in your existence as you live and you know the more experience you have the longer you live um you're gonna have some cuts and some bruises and some burns and uh there's gonna be a lasting effect in some of that but that's kind of like the roadmap of who you are um to where you arrive mm. and i've often said too you know, if it was easy, you wouldn't appreciate it as much, no matter what it is of any subject in, in your own personal life. Uh, anytime, you know, any type time that you're dealt with a struggle, it can be something that is very scary, very difficult. Um, and you'll start to question yourself. But that's OK. That's totally fine. We're all a work in progress. I try to do my best to. I can see people sometimes that they're so afraid of going outside the box or maybe going against the grain that they will psych themselves out. So I don't, I think it takes experience, but don't worry about that. You know, just sometimes you do have to dive in head first. Um, but uh, once again, if it was pristine and perfect and everything was glossed over and it had a shine to it that just seemed almost um, otherworldly, I don't know if that would stand out. You know, if you look at yourself like an art piece, if you were perfect and pristine and you were all laid out with no blemishes, would you be that interesting? Mm -hmm. um, it might be a little bit metaphoric, but that's kind of how I look at pain. You have to use it as a tool. It's a gift in a lot of ways. I think, again, what I find beautiful about songs that are built on emotion 
uh, for me anyway, is that they almost act as a sort of time machine to sort of take you back to the the headspace you were in when the song first spoke to you. Um, I think, for example, the, the, you know, the example I gave there of um, Better Version, if I listen to that song today, I'll go back into the sort of sort of mindset or psyche of, you know, the young version of myself in high school, you know, felt like he couldn't fit in and no one understood him. And so for you as a performer, are there any songs in your back catalogue that you find either difficult or challenging to perform live because of the original meaning behind them or where you were when you wrote them? It's an interesting question. I love the fact that you bring up such an interesting song, better version off the first record. I haven't thought about that song in a while. Mm, if I, if I, yeah, if I recall that song in particular, I think my favorite part about that song lyrically is the pre-chorus, which is I am not perfect mm. and I don't claim to be. And if that's what you wanted, well then I'm so sorry. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the lyric. Um, back catalog. Um, the back catalog, I cannot off the top of my head think of a song particularly that is something that is difficult for me to perform um, because I always try to find a way psychologically when we're playing live, whatever the set list is. Every night I'm on stage, I'm trying to put myself back to the moment that song was written, mm. to the moment that song, or the first time it was performed. Because a lot of times what I'm looking at in the audience is I'm reminding myself that, yes, there are people in the audience that have probably seen us 200 times, but there's also a tremendous amount of people in the audience that it's their very first time seeing us. So I try to convey as as respectfully and as intensely as I can, um, being very real and being very honest, but try to put myself back where I was uh, for those songs in the set list, the moment those songs were born. But to that question, I will tell you that what I have noticed is there's a song on the new album, Planet Zero, and it was one of the very first songs written for the project. It's a song called A Symptom of Being Human. And that is a difficult song for me to listen to. Wow. Um, I've not performed it live yet, but I believe we're going to be performing it uh, in the UK with the upcoming tour that we're doing. Um, there's something about that song that just, I don't know what it is, but every time I listen to it, I get emotional. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, it, me trying to kind of tap into why that is, um, it, it, it's interesting because in a lot of ways, I wrote that song, well, myself and Eric Bass, we wrote that song together. When I look back at that song, uh, I wrote that about our road crew in a lot of ways. You know, in, inside the song, I talk about the being in the, you know, getting an invitation to the lunatic ball and uh, we're all just passing through. We're passengers on a ship of fools. And, um, you know, I'm ta I, I talk in that song about, and my friends are coming too. Mm. 
And it was very interesting. Um, I know I kind of went in a different direction here from that question. It's only because I can't think of any song in the back catalog that really gets me. I would say this, if, if I had to pick one from the back catalog, once again, the other song that you brought up probably would be Call Me. Mm. Call Me is always one that kind of teleports me back when I do it live. And in the last couple of years, we brought that song back actually uh, in the set list because it wasn't a single, but it's one of the, what people would call an album track that is way more than an album track to a lot of people. Um, so we actually brought that song back into the set list after years of not playing it in 2019. Uh, and it's actually been a, uh, a staple in the set list currently throughout the last like three years. So it would probably from the back catalog, it'd be that one. Mm. Now you've, as you do in your, your songs, you you've always spoken very openly and honestly in interviews. You've never really shied away from any topics before we started rolling. You even said there was sort of nothing off limits in this conversation. And that's something I've yeah. always appreciated about, you know, watching your sort of media scrums or, or interviews. And you've always talked very openly about your battles with drug addiction in the past. And I was going to ask you about, you know, combating that addiction. Um, and I remember listening to you in an interview where you said that becoming a father for the first time almost saved your life in a way. I wonder if you could speak on what that did to help you combat your drug problem. It didn't almost save my life. It 1000% was a key factor in uh, my son saved me from my vanity. Mm. If that makes sense. Um, he just made me understand that it was no longer about me anymore. Um, and my son's going to be 15 in December. And um, he is without a doubt, 100 uh, percent as authentic as I can be. Uh, if I have ever had a hero in my life, it is him. That's like he's my hero on so many different levels um he did he he really did he, he saved my life in in more than one in in more than just one way um i think that i did not necessarily think that i was going to be a father when i was younger i i didn't have i, I wasn't um i wasn't motivated by that and so, and by the way, I will say this, my son was very much planned, actually. And uh, his mother and I, uh, very much in love at the time, we're not together anymore, but we're still very, very good friends. Um, we're really good co-parents. Um, but uh she and I, uh, we decided that we were going to have a child together and, and we did. And, you know, for both of us, he is a huge part of our, he's what makes our world the best because he's in it. Um, but I think, you know, I had a very textbook issue issues, if you will, with substance abuse, you know, anything that uh, 
could inebriate me or, you know, in the darkest times personally with myself, especially with alcoholism, uh, I got to a place where I just was trying, I would drink to just make the day go away. Like just to get to the next one really bad. Um, and I'm conscious of it now and I can look back on it. Um, but when my son was born, uh, it allowed me to get clean for an extended period of time. I did, however, in 2015, I did have a relapse. I, I kept it quiet uh, from the media. No one found out about it. Um, they've found out about it now. Um, but the interesting thing is that I'm not embarrassed by that. Um, I can't change it. Uh, the only thing that I can make sure that I understand. And I think in a lot of ways, when I relapsed in 2015, um, that humbled me more than anything, because I think that was the moment when I really did understand that I don't like the word surrender to your addiction, but I had to finally accept that I'm never going to get rid of this part of my brain mm. that takes me down this road that I do understand will take me down a road with the same dead end. Mm. And that's tough because, you know, the idea of like, well, I can have one drink and I'll be okay. It's been years since I drank. I could have one and be okay. That's absolutely uh, not the right answer. <laughs> um, but I, I liken it to a, a very, very good friend of mine that when I did relapse, this individual reminded me of something. They said, um, there is another person in you and he will always be in here. There's nothing you can do about that. He's there. You can't let him out because if you let him out, he has one goal in mind. And that is that person is trying to kill you. That person is trying to end your life. They're not trying to hang out and party with you. They're trying to see if they can uh, make you extinct. And then the other thing that happened from that conversation was this individual telling me, when I am clear headed and I am sober and I am focused, that's when I'm the most dangerous. And they reminded me of that. And um, I think that that's a very, very difficult part of uh, substance abuse and addiction um, and having that, especially now. It's very recent that doctors have even finally, after years of debate, uh, especially when it comes to alcoholism, yeah. uh, that they now are collectively, the scientific community and the medical community, they are in agreement. And this is very new, actually. Uh, but they are in agreement that alcoholism is a disease. They're, for the longest time, there were a lot of people in the medical community that said that they don't buy that. I, like that, that, It's not a disease. It's a choice. And I think now that they're finding out through, you know, certain genetics and, you know, the 
proof is there. It's years of clinical study, and you can see it now that it is most definitely a, a degenerative disease. Um, but inside of that, there is a way to combat it. Um, but uh, it's a rough road for a lot of people. And everybody's recovery is different. I'm not necessarily in my daily life. I don't talk about my recovery. I don't talk about my addiction. Uh, but I have no problem talking about it when somebody will ask me about it. Um, but it was something for me that, and I'm not suggesting everybody do what I do, uh, but I had to do it. I, I had to do it not on my own, but I had to get educated on what was going on and understand my own body, my own mind, and really see what's actually happening here. Um, I needed to do it more as an individual than somebody that went into a facility and had a group of people helping me. There were people that helped me, um, but then I had to kind of, if you've ever heard the expression, uh, Jesus take the wheel, hmm. I had to take the wheel. Like, it, it's just one of those things for me where I, I just couldn't, I couldn't just toss it to the wind and see what was going to happen because I knew what was going to happen if I continued down the, those same roads. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's different for everybody. That's the other thing, too, about those types of subject matters, because I had issues with and well, best way I can put it is this. I will be an addict for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I have to understand that. Um, I tell people I didn't do drugs today and I didn't drink today. I have absolutely no idea what I will do tomorrow because that part of my life, I do have to live it one day at a time. Uh, the other aspects of what I do in, in my world, I can multitask. I can be very, I can juggle a lot of different subject matters and topics and architect or be one of the main architects to a schedule, but my addiction and that part of me, uh, that is a one day at a time scenario. Another thing you've never shied away from, and we briefly touched on this, is that Shinedown has always been a band that focuses on on mental health. Um, that shines through the music. It comes through the live shows. You know, I've, I've, I've been there, I've witnessed when you sort of give these speeches on stage or there's plenty of videos on youtube if people want to look them up um with mental health i think in a sort of an old school way of thinking in anything that is high performance so sport business i mean being a performer it was always sort of a stigma around it in terms of being weak-minded yeah. you know that it wasn't going to help you reach the top you were never going to be the best salesman. You'd never be the best athlete if you'd let anything break you. And that seems to be, you know, becoming less and less prominent in those fields now. But for you, do you remember the moment where you sort of realized that, okay, mental health is a thing. It's okay to feel like this. Because for a lot of people, until they start talking about it, until someone introduces them to the idea, a lot of people just think they have something wrong with them that no one else can relate to you broke up that there's something wrong with them and then what so for a lot of people until someone speaks to them about it they'll right. just think that there's something wrong with them and that no one else can relate to what they're going through yeah so that's a huge part of 
what I think is being even more so now overanalyzed with mental health. Like people are trying to make it more complicated than what it actually is. Sometimes it is literally as simple as just somebody saying to the person that they can tell is having a uh, having some having some mental hurdles is just asking that person tell me what's wrong mm. like and you not saying any and and the individual just listening to that person like let them because they've been building it up nine times out of ten it's they they've stuffed it so far down inside that they're trying to bury it when what they actually need to do is let it out. Like you've got to, in order to get through it, you have to talk about why it's so devastating and why it's so mentally crippling, whatever it is for that individual, like why they're having such a problem. And you're absolutely right, especially in, you know, high end sports and professional, um, you know, that that you're absolutely right. You know, people that are professionals in whatever their genre is or whatever they do, when they're put at such a level, that high stress can become something where people will say, don't show any weakness. Like you can't show any weakness. Well, then I would say, okay, you've made it through whatever the obstacles that you were going for and you've hit the pinnacle, whatever it is in your profession or what have you, you've reached the mountain then what what do you do then because you probably are so stressed out at that point and so like just discombobulated because you've had to fight through all of these elements yet you've not spoken about just the struggle that you're going through not even from a mental or from a physical standpoint but from a mental standpoint because people i remember the first time a lot of individuals heard the term mental health, they would say, that's not a thing. And it most definitely is, is a thing. Um, I think that the, the most difficult thing is talking about it when you've never spoken about it, whatever it is. Um, and it's terrifying to, to people that first time that they, they feel comfortable around somebody to actually say what's going on and why they're they don't understand why they feel like this all of a sudden they don't get how because a lot of times it, it it happens in different instances sometimes it person that you know that they've always been upbeat they've always been in a good mood they've always been high spirited and all of a sudden you can tell something's off in the eyes and uh you the worst thing that you can do in that situation like if you see somebody especially somebody that you love and care about whether it's a friend or a family member or a co-worker or something of like that the worst thing you can do is be quiet and not go to them and say i don't know what it is but you don't have to be you don't have to be ashamed and you don't have to feel embarrassed hmm. if you want to talk to me about it i'm just here to listen to you you know it's important to carve out that time with that individual and let them know especially if you know they trust you mm -hmm. um and it's a genuine respect and it's a genuine friendship or love for one another 
you should understand that going to that person and, and saying to them, I know something's wrong. Just tell me what it is and we'll, we'll work it out. We'll at least start figuring out what the best thing is for you as an individual, because you don't want to see this person go through it anymore. Mm. By the way, they may have to go through it, you know, for the rest of their life. They may have to deal with it for the rest of their life, but they need the tools in order to know how to deal with it. One thing that I think is very powerful about a specific genre of music or, you know, uh, the Shinedown Nation. So, for example, you must see so many people from different walks of life at your concerts. Um, my little brother is a Shinedown fan. I used to, I made him listen to Shinedown when he was a baby. My mother, who hates rock music, I'd listen to, you know, these songs so many times that even to this day, my mother still... I'll be in her car and she'll have if only if you only knew um still on her in a car playlist um right. so there's so many people that you know must gravitate towards your music and I remember I saw you live once and you said that you know if anyone in this building ever felt like they they didn't belong before raise your hand and pretty much hundred percent of the people there sort of raise their hand and so how does it feel to have sort of cultivated this environment? where people who never thought they belonged finally f- feel like they belong and that they matter? Um, on a personal level, uh, it means everything because that's what we set out to do. Um, and what we continue to, to strive for is we don't want people to lose their human condition. Mm. Like we don't want people to lose their empathy for one another either. Um, you know, in, in the shows, what you're alluding to with the with raising the hand and, and asking the questions, and, and I do that um, quite a bit. But ultimately, what we do is the first three songs are meant to kind of let everybody know, here we go. Mm. And after the third song, I I address the audience and let them know that they're at a Shinedown show. Welcome to the show. And then the next thing that I do is I thank them for being there because I know they could have done anything else. You know, they, they could have done anything that they wanted to that night. They chose to be wherever we're at in their city and their town and they're there with us. Um, so we thank them for that. And then I say we have a tradition before we go any further. If this is your first time ever seeing Shine Down, raise your hand. The cool thing about that 20 years later 80% of the audience continues to raise their hand. So it's nice to see the audience growing. We try to have an eight to 80 um, attendance, if you will. Anyone from anywhere at any time is welcomed. And uh, the next thing I tell people to do is look to their left and look to their right. And the reason for that is I then tell them, the person standing next to you, you may have never met them before tonight's show. So we're going to change that. Everybody turn to your neighbor because I want to see you shaking each other's hands and giving each other high fives. Tell everybody how nice it is to see them at the show. And what that does is it breaks the ice with everybody in the room. And all of a sudden, all of those people in that environment, whether it's five people or it's 500,000 people, because we played for both. Um, 
it breaks the ice. It lets everybody know that we're all here in this moment in time. We're all together. And even though we don't necessarily know each other, we're here to celebrate being alive. You know, and what you take from that night, our goal is if you walked into the the venue, we're trying to have you float when you leave. Hmm. Um, just letting you know that you're not alone. You know, that you have... Um, you have a foundation and that's the beauty of rock and roll, man. Like I've never looked at rock and roll as a genre of music or a style. Um, I've often told people that you'll never replace drums, bass, guitar, badass vocals and a killer song because that's a part of the human condition. There is something about when human beings get into a room with those instruments and use our voices, male and female, there is a noise that happens. There is something that triggers an energy. And um, it's what makes us who we are. And in the rock and roll community, it's just such a way of life for people. And it's an organization and a community of people that is so vast. It's so interesting. I'll, I'll do interviews with certain people larger mainstream types of conglomerates in the music industry, like big, big audience. And when they talk to me about how rock and roll seems as if it's dead or it's died, um, I'm like, well, obviously you've never been to download. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, or you have obviously never been to Europe in June and July <laughs> mm. um, because it is most certainly not dead. <laughs> no. Um, you know, and uh, but once again, it's, you know, the rock and roll. It's not just a, a genre. It's a it's a way of life for people. And, and going back to the audience and, and like you say, and, and going back to understanding that it's it's all built around the human condition. It is, an, it is amazing that the only thing that I know of, once again, going back to how is music created? It's created by us, all of us. Um, I've never witnessed anything that can instantly create an emotion out of thin air, out of nothing was here, at this moment in time, and then all of a sudden a song comes on, a song comes on in someone's life, in their everyday, you know, the minutia of just living at times and going through your day, at the right time when you need it the most, a song will come on. And I've watched it take the strongest athlete or strongest male, female, what have you, who has just been brought to their knees, just are completely broken, don't feel like they can do it anymore, don't think they can go another mile, don't think they can push it any further, and a song comes on, and instantaneously they have been brought back into the game. Mm. I have watched music take someone that has completely fallen out of love with themselves, and I mean this in a positive way, like they don't feel good about themselves. They don't understand themselves. They don't, they question being on this planet. 
you know, and the right song is played at the right time. And all of a sudden that person has an epiphany and they do fall back in love with themselves and respect themselves again. But not only that, they fall back in love with life mm. and, and living. Uh, it's profound, man, on, on so many different levels. I mean, the philosopher Frederick Nietzsche said that without music, life would be a mistake. And I tend to agree with him on that. There's um, there's a former military man, um, very big in the personal development space, called David Goggins, and oh yeah, he always says that if he listens to music while he works out, he feels like he's cheating because music's a performance enhancing drug. You know what I say to Mister Goggins? <laughs> you are a hundred percent correct. <laughs> I don't think that it's cheating, though. I think that it's a motivator. Yeah. You know, but I know a lot about Goggins as far as, you know, a lot of Joe Rogan podcasts that he's been on mm -hmm. and other podcasts. I'm actually a big fan of the guy. Mm -hmm. I appreciate his level of... Uh, he does something that is very difficult to do, but is very unique. He... Uh, I think that he mentally subscribes to the the ideology of what's called flow. Hmm. And what yeah. flow is, is basically the dynamic of you're working out, you're doing something physical every single day without taking a, a break or like letting your body rest. Some people don't, they do it not as hardcore as he does it. Um, but I like the idea of flow because flow just means you do something active every single day. You don't take, you know, a, a complete day off. There's always yeah. something that you can do uh, to create blood flow to the body. Mm. So I very much respect him and what he does, but he does it on a different scale. <laughs> yeah, absolutely does, man. Um, look, I want to be respectful of your time. So. I got two final questions that I ask sure. every guest that comes on the show. I'm going to tweak the first one a little bit because we usually have authors and uh, on the show. So I normally ask this question about books, but I'm going to spin it a little bit and say that your music has impacted so many people. Um, you know, it, it's even changed some people's lives. But for you, what music impacted you as a young man and shaped your life? When I was 15 years old, my dad came into my room one day. I was listening to, at this point in time, in my angst of uh, my early teenage years, I was listening to a ton of punk rock and thrash. So I was listening to uh, The Misfits. I was listening to The Exploited. Uh, I was listening to Minor Threat. Um, Wendy O. Williams, uh, a lot of different like hardcore stuff uh, from back in the day, um, just because it had a very unique sound. Sex Pistols, list goes on and on. I remember my dad coming into my room and he was just like, Brent, I have no idea why these people are so mad. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but um, I'm like, OK, dad. You know, and, and he was like, well, I got you something. I, you know, I'd like you to listen to this. You know, you don't have to listen to it now, but I'm just, you know, I think you might like this. So he gives me a cassette and uh, I'm dating myself. Um, 
And then he leaves the room and I'm holding on to this cassette and I just throw it um, in my in a pile of clothes or whatever. Mm. A couple of weeks go by. I'm cleaning up my room. I said cleaning up my room. Uh, I saw the tape. I took it and I put it in uh, my cassette player. I was like, let's see what this is. And what it was, uh, was an anthology, a greatest hits, if you will, of a guy by the name of Otis Redding. Mm -hmm. And what my dad didn't realize he had done was he had completely opened up not only another door, but he had completely opened up a a different world that I didn't even know existed. Because Otis Redding got me to Al Green, which got me to Percy Sledge, which got me to Sam Cooke, which got me to Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye got me to Nina Simone, which got me to Ella Fitzgerald, which got me to Billie Holiday, which in turn got me to Miles Davis. Mm. And I remember Miles Davis uh, later on in life, I remember reading something as I started to write music and I started to perform music where he said, if you're going to play a song or you're going to write a song and then play it, play it with some attitude. Mm. And it really R and B and jazz and soul transformed the way that I look at the human voice. Um, because it was the first time that I heard a voice as an instrument and it started with Otis Redding because I had never heard any anything like that. And I'd never heard um, that kind of conviction in a voice before. And so uh, it's one of the reasons why I was so and still is God rest her soul. I'm. I'm such a huge, even though she wasn't, she wasn't with us long, but what she left us with is in, incredible. It's why I'm such a fan of uh, Amy Winehouse, because that is an example of a voice being used as an instrument. Yeah. And uh, that's probably jazz, man, soul and R&B, like real soul, like real R&B. Um, it, it completely transformed the way I look at, at music what a beautiful answer man i absolutely love that and the final question i have for you today uh, the answer to this could be absolutely anything it's completely relative to you but right now for brent smith what makes life worth living watching my son become a man mm-hmm. and 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 doing the best that i can to um help him in his not to not to steer him necessarily one way or the other, but being there, being his father, you know, being uh, when he needs me to be a teacher, teaching him when he needs me to be a listener, listening um, and and doing my best because, look, I'm on the road on average 280 days out of the year. It's a lot. I'm very, very fortunate that we have FaceTime and technology and what have you, but I really focused even more this year on really being in front of him more uh, and kind of changing our schedule a little bit. Um, Three of us in the band, we have kids. Mm. Um, And I think that that's a huge part of 
not only living, but, but also wanting to live better yeah. and, and wanting to be more open-minded and really, we often tell people that in this band, we're very conscious of each other and it doesn't need to be, don't make it about the painter. You need to make it about the painting. You have to look at the big picture. And, you know, my son is my big picture. You know, that's that's who I look to for inspiration. And he teaches me just as much as I teach him. But he's the main he's the main element. Beautiful. We've alluded to it um, throughout the conversation. Um, your most recent album and the upcoming UK tour. I'd love to draw people's attention to. I know there's not many shows that aren't sold out. I found that out the hard way this time. But where can these guys listening find out more about yourself, connect with you, check out the new album, and check out if they may be able to come and see you on tour? The easiest thing in regards to finding out about who we are, if you want more of a deep dive and you want to know exactly what's going on uh, with touring and all the things that we're doing, uh, you can always go to the website. It's very easy. It's just shinedown.com. So that's easy to kind of find out what's going on. Uh, We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter, we're on uh, TikTok, we're on all the social platforms, Facebook goes on and on and on. I think we even have a MySpace still. Um, Snapchat, you name it, man, we're on it. Um, but but also to, you know, all the streaming platforms um, from an international standpoint, um, you can find out about us there. Um, yeah, man, we're or you can just Google Shine Down and it'll give you a ton of stuff. But I got to tell you, man, like, uh, make sure that uh, make sure that I know uh, if, if you want to come to the show or any of the shows, uh, I got you covered, man. Wow. So uh, we can we can work that out. If you're in Cardiff, I got you, man. So oh, man, that yeah. means so much. I appreciate that. Absolutely, man. The only shows that I know of at this moment in time, the only one that has tickets available and not many left um would be Wembley Arena which is extraordinary for us because it's the first time headlining Wembley Arena we played the arena many times as an opener um but all these shows we played Cardiff for example played that building many times but as an opener first time being a headliner so uh very excited about these five shows that we're going to be doing in the UK but you let me know what show you want to go to man I got you covered thank you so much brother I really appreciate it and no problem just to touch back on the way I started this conversation, I mentioned that I saw you in Cardiff Student Union 10 years ago. At the end of the gig, I'll always remember, you closed the show by saying, it's not a goodbye, it's just until next time. And I hope yep. in the spirit of this conversation, the sentiment remains. Thank you for coming on, my friend. 100%. Cheers. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed that episode of the Freedom Pack podcast, then please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel where all these episodes are uploaded in video format as well as highlights, clips and best bits from all of our episodes. That is youtube.com forward slash Freedom Pact. Subscribing to our YouTube channel is the best way you can help support the show. And also leaving a five-star written review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts it really does help us with the visibility of the show and it helps us to carry on bringing these episodes to you so please consider uh, any of those options of supporting the show and we will see you here again on the next episode of the Freedom Pack podcast.